If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about development. We're talking about what's the difference between developing a game and designing a game. We're going to talk about what it looks like to work with a developer, either as a freelancer or maybe they're a part of a publishing team. We're just going to dive deep into the entire realm of development. And we're talking to Anthony Haujigo from Osprey Games. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, really excited to have you here. You know, development has become more and more a job in the gaming industry. There are so many people getting into development and publishers hiring developers, either freelance or full time, just come on in under the umbrella of the company and, you know, and just work for us and develop all these games that we have coming in. And so I feel like there's maybe some misconceptions about what development is versus just normal game design. And also, I feel like there's a lot of curiosity as far as like, well, what does it look like to hire a developer? What does it look like? like what what expectations should I have? What are the things I need to be thinking about or need to uh, to have to, to send to them the information, all that good stuff. So I'm really excited to uh, get into this with you. But before we dive in, who are you? How'd you get into game design and game, game development and all that kind of thing? Yep. Yep. Well, um, I uh, started out uh, just playing hobby games like uh, Catan, Dominion, stuff with my friends in secondary school. Um, my first sort of ticket halfway into the industry was getting a job at a, a, a board game cafe, um, which I did while at university studying military history. Um, from there, uh, I got um, an internship with a small indie Kickstarter publisher based in London called Inside the Box Board Games. Um, I knew I was, I sort of knew I was into board games from an early age. Um, I knew I was quite good at them. I had some thoughts about things uh, that were wrong in the games that I played. Um, so uh, I dove in, got an internship, uh, then got a job with that publisher. Um, and sort of from there, uh, my my career broadened out. Uh, I started doing some design work. Um, I've co-designed a few games to date. Um, and uh, I've worked as a developer for uh, Mindclash, was the next uh, place I went. And I've ended up at Osprey Games, where I work full time now. Um, three years and counting. Very cool. So it sounds like you have a good bit of experience with this. And so, yeah, I'm just really pumped to get your thoughts on what is development. And let's start right there. Let's get a good working definition. In your opinion, what is development, especially when you contrast it with design? What do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Development's like very much a catch-all term. And uh, the way developers approach things is very different depending on the context in which they're hired. Um, and the role they're playing on any given project. 
uh, like shorthand to keep things neat. Um, the definition I've heard thrown around quite a lot is that, uh, as opposed to designers that uh, will add things to a game, developers will take things away um, and leave it uh, sort of clean, uh, a clean presentation of the core puzzle the game is trying to achieve. I think there's some truth to that. Um, the way I like to look at it, the way I prefer to look at it, um, is that uh, designers essentially have the job of creating something from nothing. They're looking at a blank page um, and they're trying to, to make a thing that's fun. Um, and in that respect, uh, the design process is quite uh, introspective, whereas developers, um, they're not burdened with any of that introspection. They get to see what a designer presents to them. They get to evaluate its uh, merits um, without uh, carrying with it all the baggage of what the original design intent was. And as a developer, uh, then, you're looking much more from a customer perspective uh, and trying to uh, tweak the designer's vision so that it actually works in practice how the designer wants it to work in their head. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's it's a really good way to look at it. And so I feel like with so many games coming out nowadays, so many designers getting into the design space for board games, so many Kickstarters that are live on any given day, I feel like development has really exploded as a, a, a chunk of the market, as a kind of a genre of, of something that happens now. Why do you think that is? What is it about the development process that has just become such a normal thing, especially with bigger publishers, but even now with just the small indie publishers? Development has become very much a, a potential job for a lot of people and become a very normalized thing. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, uh, in terms of uh, what publishers want, the name of the game is to consistently put out great products. Um, and uh, only the top, top publishers can rely on a continuous stream of very, very high quality submissions from top level designers, simply because there are not that many top designers about, and the ones that are about often already have a particular publisher they almost always publish with. Um, and so the, the demand uh, amongst publishers is growing, but the pool of uh, top, top designers is still the same size. So to bridge that gap um, and to ensure consistent quality products, uh, publishers have to invest in a development team that's going to turn a submission from a designer that might not be uh, top notch and tweak it and make it better and produce the best product it can be. So it's very much um, uh, market pressures that are driving the investment in uh, developers and uh, by publishers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, with uh, any when any industry has a ton of options and a ton of noise you might say that one of the best ways to stand out is to have a better product than the other people in the marketplace. And so I feel like development is a wonderful way to go from good to great, to take a game that's pretty good and then turn it into an amazing product. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And uh, crucially, when developers uh, are working in-house, um, it's their tastes that is going to attract uh, across multiple projects that's going to start to build you a brand that um, people come back to again and again. Often designers, often they'll, they'll come and go, like a designer will publish one thing with you and then will disappear for a few years. Um, it's the, the uh, focus on development and it's um, the developer's taste that are going to start to build a brand for a given publisher um, because that's the thing that's running through all of their product products. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, 
Could development just be a separate phase in that I could develop my own game? Like I go from game designing, uh, here's the phase of game design, and now I'm going to move over into the phase of development. Could I do that for myself or do I really need to find someone else to get new eyes on the project? It's tricky. Some very talented people are capable of it, but one of the, the most valuable things a developer can bring is looking at your game fresh uh, with a fresh set of eyes because uh, a designer will uh, go into the quote-unquote development phase with all kinds of baggage based on what their original intention was. Um, so uh, a, a lot of this is a, a phenomenon you notice when a lot of designers, I find, uh, struggle to articulate uh, the merits of their own game uh, because they're so blinded by what they originally envisaged the game as being. Um, whereas developers, they don't carry any of that baggage. They can come at it fresh and they can see how customers are actually interacting with it. Um, and they can be much more on the nose about how people are experiencing your game uh, and how uh, how best to add to that experience. So uh, that fresh perspective is super important. So developing your own game is real hard. Uh, if the game is has has fewer moving parts, fewer levers that you might want to change during development anyway, then it is possible for a designer to present a complete package having designed and developed it themselves. But I think that's quite rare. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I'm reminded of Stephen King in his book on writing, where he talked about his his own personal writing process. And Stephen King's one of the most prolific writers of all time, and tons of books and movies and, and just amazing work he's done over the decades. And his process is whenever he finishes a first draft, he will take the entire manuscript. He doesn't go back through it. He doesn't look at it and doesn't do anything. He puts it in a drawer for at least six weeks. He waits at least six weeks and then he'll go back in and reread the entire draft. And then he starts making edits. He start, starts making changes, starts uh, deleting some things and maybe adding some things in like, oh, well, that's kind of a plot hole. Let me, let me fix that. But he waits at least a month and a half, typically two months, and then he goes back in because then he can look at the story with fresh eyes. He's not carrying all that baggage that he yeah. that he would have had if had he started editing right after you know writing the end and then going right back to the beginning and started going back through. Or if he was editing along the way, he likes to to come to the the story with with a fresh perspective. And I feel like uh, it, it's a really good idea one for designers to do that as well. Like when you get to a pretty good stopping place with your design, take a break, go work on something else, go you know figure something else out, a new game and an expansion, something like that, whatever. And then come back to it. But even still, Stephen King, after he goes through that next line of edits and he, his goal is to eliminate at least 10%, that's his process, he, he still will send it to an editor. He'll still basically bring in a developer for the writing world, which is your editor, uh, to do that uh, phase of things as well. And so I feel like even if you are going to do the development of the game yourself, there's still a ton of value in getting someone in, especially someone with a lot of experience who understands the market. Because it's not just developing a game it's developing a product and so someone who really understands the game as a product and, and the packaging and the ui and ux and all that good stuff kind of coming together to create not just a game but an experience a product for the marketplace that people will spend money on is an incredibly smart move uh, definitely for, for publishers but also probably for designers now let me ask you about that before i pitch a game to a publisher should I go ahead and maybe hire a freelance developer to help me with this design to kind of help get it from good to great? Or is that something I should rely on the publisher for entirely? Um, I would recommend that you push that onto a publisher. Um, publishers typically have a, a very specific vision for the type of 
thing they want to do, the type of game they want to release, that they will have uh, particular tastes, particular tolerances for different kinds of mechanics um, and for different kinds of experiences. Um, and they will use the development process to fit your submission to their goals, uh, which obviously, if you're trying to do development before you've approached a publisher, that, that core function is not going to be there because you're not going to know who's publishing it and you're not going to know what their tastes are. So I would generally recommend designers don't do that. Uh, as a proxy, uh, a proxy doesn't cost you any money. The obvious thing to do is like play your game with other designers um, and with uh, as many playtesters as you can uh, persuade to, uh, to take a look. But in terms of hiring developers, no, I wouldn't recommend that. Okay, gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Now, what if I'm going to do a Kickstarter project, if I'm going to start my own company and publish the game myself, if I'm going to self-publish and I want to hire a developer, what does that look like? How do I find one? What kind of information do I need to have ready? Just tell me kind of the, the entire process or what that looks like to bring on a developer to look at my game and help me make it better. Yeah, um, so a, a big difference uh, uh, at the start of this process is uh, if you are looking to start a publishing company, um, are you releasing a game that you've already designed yourself or are you releasing a game from a, another designer? If from another designer, then you can uh, serve somewhat as a developer on that title um, because, you're again, you're coming at it with fresh eyes. Um, if it's a game you've designed yourself, then the need to go out and hire a developer, I think, is, is, is larger. Um, in terms of how you do that, uh, the best way I've found to do it is just to ask other publishers because the nice thing about uh, developers generally um, is that they can hop around they're not necessarily tied to an individual publisher, which means that one developer can potentially cover three or four different publishers during their uh, their work time. And what that means is if you approach another publisher, they'll likely have two or three developers they can tell you about. Um, they're happy to link you to, um, and you can uh, chase up those, uh, those leads um, and find developers that are experienced and that have worked with people you maybe know, um, and that uh, you know, you know, are uh, a credible, right? Just like hiring anybody for your team or, or for your project, you want to check references, you want to find people that have experience, or maybe you might you might want to take a chance on somebody. It just depends. But I know personally, I've been working with a developer named Joe Pilkus, who is a friend of mine, friend of the Board Game Design Lab in general, and working with him has just been a pleasure. Uh, he's he's an excellent person to work with, very communicative, uh, very upfront about things. He asks good questions. And so in your mind, in your experience, what are, what's the information that I need to have going in? Like if I'm going to contact a developer, maybe I've heard of someone or maybe I got recommended someone, what all do I need? That way I don't waste either of our time on the front end because I'm sure there's just like some basic things I need to have available. Do I need to have like an overview video of the game? Do I need to have a rule book that's pretty much settled? Do I need to have like a really nice prototype? Give me just kind of a checklist of what I need to have on hand and available on the very, uh, for the very first call or the very first email to say, hey, I've got this project. Are you interested? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, you need to know and be able to articulate uh, the uh, kind of experience you want to players to have with the game and consequently the target audience. So you need to be able to know and tell the developer, hey, this is a, a light party game that I'm pitching to this group or this is a, a mid-weight Euro game that I'm trying to... Uh, create that will appeal to fans of this game 
uh, or anything like that so the developer can have context about um, how long the project's going to take to work on uh, and the types of skills they'll be needing to bring to the table. Um, past that, um, we've kind of already covered it, but uh, how much time uh, you're going to be asking for from the developer, that's super important to know. Uh, and also uh, where they sit in the hierarchy. And what, what I mean by that is that um, are they working with the designer to create something? Are they working with the publisher to create something? Are they going to be sitting above both the designer and the publisher uh, and kind of having the authority to make uh, changes, even when one or both of the other parties aren't convinced? You need to, you need to know whether you're asking them to take on a more project management role or a more uh, contributor type role. Uh, but past that, um, I think you shouldn't be too afraid to just uh, ask the developer what they want to know because it is very uh, individual specific. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I want to talk a little bit more about changes in a second, but before that, as far as cost, what should I expect? Is this an hourly rate kind of gig? Is this a project-based type thing? Is it a bit of a mix? What's your experience? Um, most uh, developers I know that work freelance charge hourly, um, and they'll, they'll give you a rate. Um, often uh, they will, if you approach them with a project, they'll understand. They'll try to understand the project better. They will give you a minimum, a sort of total price they expect. Like I expect to work on this for twenty hours, um, and then they will give you a price, which is obviously just a multiple of their hourly rate. But they 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 won't, for example, say this is going to cost you 20 quid an hour and I've got nobody, no idea how many hours I'm going to work on it. They'll try and uh, fix all, as many parameters as they can for you. Uh, in terms of what that rate is, it does depend. Um, in the past, when I've been working freelance, I've charged between, uh, well, £10 an hour and when I was just getting into the, the business, then up to £20 an hour. Uh, but it is quite flexible. I know some do charge more based on their experience. Okay, and now does does that development work that time also include playtesting? Like, can I expect a developer to go out and set up playtest sessions on their own? Uh, it does include playtesting um, uh, because, you know, whilst that fun is also work. Um, and ge generally, uh, the way I would bill for a given project um, is I would uh, allocate a certain number of hours to physically playtesting the game and then a certain number of hours to writing up a summary of my thoughts and the playtesters' thoughts uh, on the on the game, and uh, that would be the sort of package deal that you got. That would be the division of my time. Yeah, definitely. As far as changes go, what can I expect? You know, if if I've got a game that I feel is pretty much done, maybe it's at that ninety percent done place. Although from personal experience, whenever I get ninety percent done with a game, I feel like I've got about ninety percent left to go before it's actually finished. But as you know, I've got a game that's pretty well finished. It just needs maybe some refining. Maybe the rule book needs a, a good bit of editing and, and you know refining as well. What can I expect as far as changes? go i mean is it possible that i send my game to a developer and they come back and they say hey this game is broken it's not any good at all uh, we need to cut out 50 percent, and we need to change it can i expect that or is it more of a kind of a five percent you know like a, just like making small changes what should i expect well it entirely uh depends on how good your game is i suppose and uh the taste of the developer but um what i would say um is that if a developer identifies fundamental problems with the way you've constructed your design, um, then uh, 
you should expect and you'd hope that they would be open with you um, about the nature of those problems uh, uh, rather than attempting to sort of make tiny tweaks that whilst they might improve the game don't fix more fundamental issues. Um, so you should know very quickly uh, if the developer is going to want to make drastic changes, most likely because they'll tell you because they'll only have a finite amount of time they're expecting to work on it. Um, uh, and if they don't do that, and if they do come back with smaller changes, then you know you can be more confident that the game itself is solid. Okay. Now, when it comes to disagreements, I want to talk from two different angles. Let's talk about disagreeing with a freelance developer that I have hired. So I am technically the publisher. I'm going to take this game to Kickstarter. I've hired a developer. This person has come back with notes or ideas or some changes, small or large, that I don't agree with. What's the best way to handle that, especially if we're like halfway through the, the development process and developers like, I think we should go this way. And I personally, I think we should go that other way. How do I handle that? Yeah, a lot of it's about setting expectations. Like you'll, off, uh, you'll often find developers are willing to work with you regardless of uh, whether or not you have the, the final say on uh, mechanical changes to the game. Uh, but where, where you run into issues uh, is where expectations haven't been managed and you have a designer, a developer, a publisher, all of whom uh, are kind of laying down the law, uh, not realizing that, you know, uh, perhaps another party is the one making the decisions. So yeah, a lot of it, a lot of these issues could be circumvented with uh, expectations management. Uh, in terms of what you do when that disagreement does arise, um, a lot of it depends on uh, why um, the what is causing the disagreement. Like, uh, for example, uh, if a developer is proposing a change to a game that will um, result in a, a more complicated uh, production, a more expensive production. Um, then uh, you just be open about that. Um, let them know that for publishing reasons, reasons that are maybe external to the uh, the pros and cons list they have in their head currently, uh, because of those reasons, you're not going to go with their suggestion. That's perfectly fine. Uh, if you just have a disagreement about the the nature of the the change itself, about whether or not it's a, a good thing, then um, that's just something to be honest about and uh, worthwhile emphasizing that you value the opinion of the person that you're going to go and ignore um, just as as a, a point of order just to make sure they don't get too uh too offended yeah absolutely personally i believe a lot of this gets figured out if you do enough uh time if you put enough time in and research on the front end before you hire the person you're first of all you're making sure this is the right person for the job this is a person that has experience in the genre or the theme or the type of game that you're working on or, or experience with that particular target audience uh, in my particular case i hired joe because he had played several of my other games in the past and so he had a really good understanding of me as a designer because he had played and enjoyed other games that i had designed and so he had a really good understanding of kind of where i wanted to go my target audience he already knew all that stuff and so he was a really good fit for me on the front end before we even started developing my next game. And so I feel like you can save yourself a lot of headache and a lot of hassle if you, first of all, make sure you're hiring the right person for the job. And once you've hired the right person for the job, let them do the job you hired them to do. And so I'm, I'm, that's my opinion. I can't speak for anybody else. That's just kind of the way that I approach projects. Find great people and then let them do the job you hired them for as, as opposed to micromanaging and looking over their shoulder all the time and questioning all this. Like, hopefully you've hired a person that you trust to do 
the job you've asked them to do to do the job you're paying them for. And so I, I think a lot of these frustrations can be eliminated on the front end if you're putting enough time and research and, and conversation uh, in before you actually even start working on a game. I would add that uh, it also is really helpful. I would second everything you just said for, for a start. And I would also add that it's it's also helpful if you keep in mind the reason for which you've hired someone, because it might be quite specific. For example, uh, when I worked with uh, Mind Clash on some of their huge, um, enormous, complicated Kickstarters, uh, my role within that development team was very much to be the, the mere mortal who would tell them uh, if uh, they'd got too caught up in their own vision and their game was no longer accessible to the general public. So uh, because that was the reason they hired me, when I spoke on issues to do with accessibility, to do with how intuitive their mechanisms were, they took that uh, feedback with a lot more weight than if I were speculating more broadly on the balance of one particular strategy versus another. So if you know why you hired them, uh, you can weight the feedback they give you on different areas of your game accordingly. Yeah, that's another really, really good point. Now, from the other side of things, if I'm just a regular designer, I've got a game that I've pitched to a publisher, they have signed it. So I have now signed away the rights to the game and this publisher is going to take it and run with it and turn it into a real product and get it on shelves somewhere. And so now it's going through that publisher's development process. And now I run into some disagreements with the publisher, with their developers about the direction of the game, or they're going to change the theme, or they're going to do something that I was like, oh, it's not really what I had in mind. That wasn't my particular vision. I, I kind of disagree with these things. How do I approach that? Because now it's not my baby anymore. I've kind of signed away the rights to it to someone else. And so how do I approach disagreements from that angle? Yeah, yeah. Again, hopefully these issues are avoided largely with expectations management. Uh, both on the, the publisher communicating the, to the designer the nature of the changes they want to make before a game is signed, uh, and also uh, the designer communicating to the publisher the level of involvement and creative control they want to have. But uh, in, in the event that a disagreement does arise, uh, in a situation where you've already signed a game with a publisher, uh, it's important to, to note that uh, developers are much closer to the the uh, publishing process generally. Um, if they wanted to, they could relatively easily sort of push you out and uh, at this stage and produce the, the product uh, on their own uh, without um, uh, putting too much stock uh, in your own like wishes. Hopefully they don't do that, but that is possible. And what that means is the implication is that you need to keep your uh, development team on side um, uh, as much as possible so that they can see that uh, the changes you want to make are coming from a place of wanting to make the game better as opposed to making their life hard. you know um, so um, in terms of keeping developers on site there's a big list of things that you can uh, you can do to do that um, one big thing that I, I have uh, circled down in my notes here um, if you try to keep uh, a developer on side and make it more likely that they listen to your feedback in the case of a disagreement. Uh, one big thing is to remember to uh, keep things super professional because you'll often find designers uh, have another job. They're designing games in their free time. Uh, developers, this is their job and they have a, a life outside. Um, and that can uh, 
create a mismatch of expectations in terms of how you should be interacting with one another. Um, I think hopefully um, uh, a lot of those uh, disagreements are avoided by expectations management, both on behalf of the publisher, who uh, should be explaining the direction they want to take your game in before you sign over the rights, and also from the designer, uh, making it clear to the publisher how much creative control they want to have on the project going forward. But if uh, even after you've communicated expectations, there's still a disagreement, um, then uh, the important thing I think as a designer is not to overreach. Know that ultimately the decision is now in the hands of the developer and you need to work with them to find a resolution as opposed to impose your will on them. Because if you try and uh, come in too heavy handed, there's a chance they'll shut you out of the, the process entirely, which would uh, be at the detriment of the product as a whole. Yeah, I feel like just like any other business relationship, you have to make sure you know which hills to die on and you have to make a, a really intentional decision about, hey, is this is this worth fighting over? Is this a hill worth dying on? Especially in the board game space where publishers know each other. And so if you get a reputation for being really hard to work with, uh, for being a person that doesn't take criticism well, doesn't take development well, that you're always giving a lot of pushback on things, that's not going to help your case. And there's no shortage of designers on the market right now. There's no shortage of games being pitched. So you have to be really careful with your reputation. Uh, and I'm not just saying let a publisher steamroll you. And if they want to totally do something different and something you disagree with, don't say anything. That's not what I'm saying. You just have to make a really intentional decision about is this worth fighting over or is this just a small change and I can get over it. Now, if they're going to retheme your game to something that you just dramatically disagree with or something like that, okay, that, that might be worth dying on that hill. But in general, maybe just take a step back and, and try to look at it from their perspective because they're in the business of making money. You're in the business of probably designing games. This probably isn't your full-time job. You're doing this because you love it. You're doing it as a side thing, as a hobby. Maybe you can make a little bit of money here and there. They're doing this to pay bills. They're doing this to pay payroll and to keep the lights on and to sell as many games as they possibly can, to run as many profitable Kickstarter projects as they possibly can. So they're thinking about things maybe from a different angle than you are, and you had a really big, grandiose vision for this game, and then they realized that maybe the money side of things didn't quite make sense, and so they had to cut some things out, or they had to tone some things down. They had to get rid of 50 miniatures and turn that into 20 miniatures, and, and now the rest are standees. Or, you know, there's so many decisions that get made on, on the publishing side that just really come down to money, and do we have the cash flow, and do we have it in the schedule, and, and or maybe they have to push your game back. So maybe it was going to come out this year, and they have to push it back a year, something like that. There's, there's so many things that could happen. And so, like you said, Anthony, having a lot of uh, expectations laid out on the front end, a lot of the stuff you can write into your contract. I know a lot of really well-known designers will have a clause that says they get the, the right to refuse a major change by the publisher. And they kind of have everything laid out there in the language of the contract, what can be altered and what can't be, and they get the, the last say in the matter. And so that might be something you could negotiate in. But if you're new, just getting into game designing, just getting into the industry, you don't have a you know evergreen hit. You don't have a bunch of games on the market that have done really well. You might not have that kind of leverage. And even if you do have the leverage, you got to decide, do I want to do that? Do I want to put that in there? Is that going to make the publisher think that I'm hard to work with? So there's so many things just to think about. And I don't have a, a magic bullet or anything here. But the main thing is, think about it. Don't just type an email because you're upset because the developer is like, hey, this game, you know, don't take a moment, step back and just think through some things. Take a day to think about what's going on uh, and just maintain a healthy, positive business relationship as best you can. Because more than likely, if this publisher has published one of your games and it goes out and you know the game gets on the market and does well, they're going to be pretty open to you again. So if you have another game 
six months later, a year later, and you say, hey, I've got this other game. It's kind of a follow-up or it's a very different thing, but I feel like it fits your brand. It fits your, your line of games. They're going to be much more likely to listen to you, and they're going to be even more likely to listen to your pitch if you've been really good to work with, if you've been super uh, understanding and reasonable and, and um, able to listen to feedback and criticism. That's just going to help increase your odds of getting more games published in general. And so, Anthony, do you have any other advice as far as being a, as, as a developer yourself for a publisher? for what I should be thinking about, things I should say, things I should just kind of be aware or expectations I should have working with a developer who works for a publisher. Uh, just to follow up on what uh, thought you laid out uh, there, uh, choosing your choosing your battles is super important. Um, if throughout the whole process with a, a, a developer uh, who works in-house with a publisher, uh, you've, um, you, you may have had small disagreements, but you haven't made too much of a fuss of them. You've explained your reasoning, but you've indicated clearly that you're happy to proceed under whatever conditions if you do have a more meaningful disagreement down the line then you can put more emphasis behind that and it, it suddenly becomes uh something the developer understands is particularly important to you and not just the latest in a running battle you've been having via email over the past few months so what you just said choosing your battles super important um in terms of advice for working with uh developers who are in-house with uh publishers um Yes, another super important thing is to realize that they are likely liaising with their, their marketing people um, who are offering insights on the current state of the, the board gaming industry. Uh, they'll be liaising with their uh, production people who will be talking about uh, what is physically possible with the game uh, and how much any given thing is going to cost. Um, and they'll be talking with um, the person that runs the company about uh, where this product fits in with the overall vision of that publisher. So they'll have all these other kinds of pressures on them, uh, which are making them look at particular design and development decisions in a different way to the way you are. So just being cognizant of that, being aware of that, and knowing that at some point, uh, as you say, um, design decisions have to take a back seat for uh, product-related decisions. Just being aware of that is super important, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, personally, as a designer, I want to create games that would probably sell for like $200 because I want to have all the things and I want to have the most beautiful, amazing art. I want every single card to be unique. I want to go out and find 10 of the best artists in the world to do different illustrations. I want to have like these amazing miniatures and I want all of them, everything in the game to have miniatures. That, that doesn't make sense from a publishing standpoint. And so you really have to understand the difference between designing a game and publishing a game, uh, especially if you're going to publish it yourself. You have to really get good at, at flipping the switch and understanding that you can't have all the things if you want to actually make any money or you want to have a game that's not $200 MSRP. And so, yeah, that's definitely something to, uh, to keep in mind. Now, switching gears a little bit, let's talk about time. I know there's no specific magical amount of time that development takes, but just give me an idea for what my expectation should be for a developer. Like once I give them my game, we've talked through everything, they start in on the process and the playtesting development. How long does that typically take? What should I be thinking about? What should I be like building into my timelines as far as the time? This is a, a super interesting question. Um, the answer at a high level is a boring one, which is that it's very uh, specific to the uh, the nature of the game you're working on. Uh, and it's also very specific to different publishers. Uh, so for example, uh, the place I currently work, Osprey Games, 
Um, they, um, uh, when we use developers, uh, both internally, that's me, and externally with other partners, uh, we will uh, generally um, do development work in short sprints, uh, where we'll be looking at a game in a very concentrated way for a period of a few weeks, uh, and then we'll be uh, moving on. Um, and that's sort of what one extreme of the uh, end of the spectrum. Uh, in that in that case, in a publisher where we're looking to uh, pump out a good number of titles each year. Um, another extreme, um, again, going back to my time at Minecraft, was um, uh, they would essentially empower their developers to a maximum extent. They would say, you can work on this game. We will pay you to work on this game as long as it takes until you are happy and we are happy. Um, and obviously, um, my Clash games specifically work in very complex games. And there is a correlation in that more complex games generally take more time to develop. But there's uh, also a, uh, a bunch of other factors in play. Um, and uh, giving you a short answer to that question is going to be hard, I'm afraid. Yeah, I figured that, that there is no like magical, oh, it only takes two and a half months. Oh, it takes four to six weeks. Like this, It just doesn't happen. If you're designing a, a small card game, that's going to be very different development time than if you're designing a 4X, two and a half hour gaming experience with lots of moving parts and mechanisms. Obviously, the depth and the weight of the game is going to play into things. But now, is this something uh, that I should also be that I should also be talking uh, to the developer about upfront, uh, kind of in those initial conversations, like how long do you think this will take, and then kind of give me an idea. Is this something I write into the contract? I, uh, let's talk, let's talk about from that angle as far as like time, and then let's talk about contracts in general. Uh, is do I want to make sure I have a contract in place and both parties sign it, and we have very specific uh, expectations laid out and, and payment schedules and stuff like that? Tell me about those things. Yes, uh, in my experience, the best way to do it. Um, is to have an open conversation with a, a developer beforehand about the amount of time they think it's going to take. Uh, let them give you a number rather than you imposing a number on them. Uh, I think that's the best way to get the best quality out, work out of uh, that, that developer. Um, and then uh, once they've given you the amount of hours it's going to take, their hourly rate, you can look at the overall price and decide whether or not this partnership is going to work for you. Um, and uh, once you've done that, yeah, legislate all of that out in a contract. Um, and if, you know, you're halfway through a project and a developer says, I think it's going to need more time, I think it's going to need less time, uh, then uh, you have a contract which both parties have agreed to, uh, which, uh, but you don't necessarily have to stick to that. If, if you both agree that a game needs more time, perhaps, then you can then look at the contract again um, and uh, change it on an ad hoc basis. So yeah, have have the timelines. Uh, the developers should give you timelines, really. Uh, but uh, if if they don't, then just uh, make sure to get it out of them. And then yeah, putting that in a contract is is super important because uh, game development um, it yields diminishing returns over time. The amount of value you're going to get out of a developer is highest in the first eight hours they look at a project versus the last eight hours. So whilst uh, they might be coming at it uh, uh, about, uh, with a mentality of wanting to make the game as perfect as can be and wanting to pour endless hours into it, it's important if you've hired them to keep a, you know, an eye on the clock and keep an eye on how much you're, uh, you're paying and making sure you're getting value out of every hour you're, you're spending. Yeah, absolutely. And I think contracts are super important in anything in business. I heard a guy one time who made bazillions of dollars through real estate. And he talked about the importance of contracts. And he said, you know, a lot of times people call these things agreements, 
but I don't call them that. I call them disagreements because the only time we look at the contract is when we disagree and how important it is to have everything laid out, all the expectations, the payment schedules, how to pay the, the clauses in there to, to, to stop working with one another if something happens or if you go beyond whatever. And so just having, having everything laid out there in very clear, clear language, and I'm not saying you have to go to a lawyer and spend a bunch of money, but at least having something in place to protect both parties, to lay out the expectations, to lay out deadlines and schedules and payments and all that stuff, I feel is super important. Now, if I'm working with a publisher and a developer, I don't have to deal with that side of things. So is there anything else just contract wise I need to be aware of? Any kind of language in a contract, if, if I'm free, you know, hiring a freelancer or developer, any kind of language in there that I want to make sure to have in place? What are your thoughts? Um, nothing particularly springs to mind. I mean, um, like you say, at the end of the day, uh, most times you sign a contract, you won't look at it again. Um, really, or at least you won't look at the fine print. Um, so as long as covering your all, all your eventualities in terms of things that might go wrong, then there's not a huge amount you need to to uh, add in apart from that. Gotcha. Anything else that stands out to you as important when it comes to working with a developer? It's important uh, to recognize as a designer where. Um, in situations where a developer is bringing uh, insight based on how a fresh set of eyes actually is seeing your game, uh, to recognize when they're bringing those kinds of insights um, and uh, be quite accommodating of them. Because as a designer, the game you have in your head, the game you think that everyone else is playing um, is very different to the one they're actually experiencing. Um, so just being really uh, sensitive um, to uh, and uh, responsive when a developer suggests changes based on new player experience of playing your game, I think that's super important. Um, I think that's one of the most valuable things a developer could do for you. So yeah, as a designer, making sure to, um, uh, or as a publisher, uh, making sure to seriously consider when a developer is telling you something uh, along those lines, I think is uh, really important. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. All right, I want to switch gears a little bit. Instead of talking about working with a developer, let's talk about what it looks like to become a developer. I feel like there are a lot of people who listen to this show, a lot of people in the game design space who are pretty good designers, but they might end up being really good, way better developers. I've got a, a good friend of mine who tried to design a bunch of games, and he was okay. He had some good ideas here and there, but then he moved over into development work and he is just phenomenal. He has a really good eye for things, has a really good brain to kind of figure out how to take a game from good to great. He's way better at development than he is at actual just game design. And so in your opinion, what are what are some things someone can do to maybe figure out if they're really good at development? And like, what does it look like to become a developer? Um, so I think one thing that's... Uh... A really clear indicator of whether development might be for you is if after you um, play a game, you uh, you can think of a bunch of things that you would like to do slightly differently. Um, and as a next stage on from that, if after you play a game you do have those thoughts, um, then writing them all down, seeing if you can summarize them and justify each uh, like hypothetical change you would make uh, in clear language. That can be a really good like second step for starting to figure out whether development's for you. Um, and then uh, the 
process that I went through that actually got me uh, several of the jobs I've had during my career um, was sending that that typed up list of notes to uh, the publisher of the game um, and getting their thoughts. And if they um, see value in your insights or maybe even agree with uh, some, of, some of the stuff you've said, then you might be really onto something in terms of this being a, a career for you. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, is this something where if I'm just getting started, I've got no experience, I have no reason for anyone to trust me yet as far as developing their game, that I could maybe reach out to someone and offer it as a free service? Say, hey, if you send me a prototype, I'd love to take a look at your game and and try to develop it a little bit. Is that something that could kind of help someone get started into the industry in this way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as with a lot of things in the industry, the best way to get into it is to do free work. It does kind of suck, (laughs) To start out but doing free work is is the way to get in or or at least the way the way to get in in my experience uh so yeah um if if you could get a publisher to send you a prototype um and uh offer you uh and offer them feedback on that that's great but that actually might be a bridge too far because putting together a prototype is a lot of work for a publisher unless you're using something like tabletop simulator so if if in, in lieu of that uh sometimes you could do it on a game that's already published and if the publisher is sufficiently open-minded um, and they see the, the merits in the changes you're suggesting, even though it's too late for that product, they can then look at hiring you uh, for a different product um, and you can get in that way. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I think print and play might also be a good way to kind of prove that, you, that you're all in on this thing. If, if I send you the files for a game, they, then you print out and cut out and you literally make the game, you make the prototype and then you do some work and you give me some feedback and send me some notes. Like I automatically think, wow, this person really wants to do this. They've proven that. And then I'm much more likely to assess, okay, are their ideas good? Is the development process that they went through, is it really fit? the game? Does it fit my needs as a publisher, as a designer? And so I think that's another thing you, you can kind of prove how much you want to be in on something, the more effort you're willing to put in, whether it's getting on tabletop simulator or a print and play or something like that. Now I will put out a caveat that if you are a designer or you are a publisher, indie publisher, Kickstarter creator, whatever, do not reach out to someone and offer for them to do free work. Don't ever reach out to someone and say, hey, this would be really good for your portfolio. I think that's that's garbage. If you are reaching out to someone, whether it's with art, graphic design, development, playtesting, whatever, if you are reaching out to them because you feel like their input would be really good for your game or your project, then you should pay them. On the opposite side, if you're just breaking into rulebook editing or development or playtesting or something like that, then you might want to consider offering uh, free work, free services, just to kind of get your name out there, to build up a reputation, to build up a portfolio, to build up some recommendations. So those are two very different things. I feel like sometimes people get those uh, mixed up and it's very frustrating to me. So I definitely will put that uh, caveat in there. Now, as far as more of your experience in becoming a developer, this is something that you did, right? So tell me, maybe give me like a, a really good timeline or a really good roadmap for what it looked like in your personal journey to go from an unknown a person just that wanted to get into the industry in some way, and now you are working for a developer. This is your your job, right? They're paying you to do this. So kind of lay out the the stepping stones to go from where you were to where you are now. Yeah, yeah. For me for me personally, um, an important first step was getting a job at a board game cafe uh, because uh, while it's obviously no substitute for actual industry experience, uh, it immediately communicates to someone that might hire you that you're passionate about games and that you've likely played a good number of games. Uh, and that was the first step for me. I worked at a board game cafe in Oxford, uh, UK, uh, called Thirsty Meeples, uh, which a lot of people have heard of. 
um, and it will help me get in the door. Um, after I did that, um, I volunteered to intern for free in a, a very small indie publisher based in London. Um, and uh, based on you know me will be willing to to do work for them for free, uh, and based on uh, the enthusiasm I demonstrated uh, in my uh, sort of application email, uh, and based on you know the fact that I've worked at a board game cafe, they were happy to take a chance um, and got me in for an internship, which is like the next stage. Um, going from that, um, I lucked out in terms of the company I got an internship that uh, went on to hire me, uh, and that's how I got my first you know quote unquote proper job. Um, but uh, when I wanted to move on from that and I wanted to start approaching new people, build my portfolio of uh, potential clients, um, I again went back to uh, the refrain of doing free work for people. Um, so uh, I started working with uh, noteworthy designers, most notably David Turchi. Um, I would uh, go around to his house, you know, once every couple of weeks and play test all his designs and give him a bunch of feedback on those. He would then communicate to the publishers that uh, I had made this set of changes and that uh, I was being valuable to him as an asset. Um, and through uh, his recommendation, um, I got my job with uh, Mindclash working freelance for them. Um, and that continued for a few months where uh, one or two days a week, I would uh, I'd go around to David's house, play through a bunch of Mind Clash games and, and send them feedback. Uh, and then uh, when it came to uh, Osprey Games, uh, they um, had an opening for a job that they advertised. And I was able to come to them having said, look, I've worked with this person, this person, this person. Um, I've uh, demonstrated skills. Uh, I've uh, worked on these games that have all proven to be successful. And that together was a, enough of a case that I could make to distinguish myself and the other people applying to that role and get me a sort of full-time uh, gig in the industry. So it's stepping stones. It's working for free uh, when you need to. Um, it's also really uh, personality-driven. Figure out people that can help you in career, in your career and do stuff for them, make them appreciate the value you have. All of these things come together and you can sort of slide your way into an industry that's otherwise very, very hard to get into. Very cool. Now, when it comes to self-promotion, a lot of people struggle with that. They struggle with putting themselves out there. They struggle with posting online, whether it's on social media or whatever. They struggle with sending emails to, to companies to say, hey, I'd love to work with you. What would be your advice to someone who wants to get into the industry in general, but especially into develop development? as far as promoting themselves, how, like what, what would be your encouragement? How did you overcome maybe some of the things that you struggled with as far as like not wanting to put yourself out there? What's your advice? Yes. Um, I think a lot could be achieved on the strength of recommendations from third parties. So uh, it, like uh, approaching a publisher cold is, is a very tough thing to do. Uh, both uh, because, you know, there's a lot of people who want jobs in the industry and the publisher will be often used to those kinds of approaches. But also just because it's a very intimidating kind of thing to do for an industry that's uh, got a high proportion of introverts. So having a third party, someone who you can uh, demonstrate your value to and can go to a publisher on your behalf and say you should hire them, that could be a really powerful way in. As long as the, the third party you're working with is someone that has these credible industry links, uh, that that's something that you should uh, seek out wherever you can. 
Yeah, absolutely. I know from personal experience, I have hired people based on the recommendation of publishing friends, people that I really trust their opinion. And they've said, hey, you really need to hire this person for X job. And I've asked them their opinion. I said, hey, do you have any recommendations for this type of position? I'm looking for somebody. And then they give me a list or a couple names. And then I'm going to trust that more than I'm going to trust someone cold emailing me. Right. And so I think that's definitely something to be aware of. Another thing is, is just doing amazing work. So uh, when you do a really good job, people want to promote you. I've got friends uh, or people that have become friends now that started off as just normal uh, freelancers that worked for uh, various projects of mine. And now uh, I'm getting uh, basically emails or whatever from other companies saying, hey, uh, I saw this person or they submitted an application or whatever. What is, do, you, do you recommend them? And absolutely. They did a great job for me. I think they'll do a great job for you. And so I'm trying to actively promote people who have done excellent work for me. So I think all these things come together to to basically show that you can do this. Uh, if you're sitting there thinking, gosh, I really want to get into the industry, you know, how do I do it? It's it's no different than any other industry. It, business is still business even though this is the business of fun, this is the business of games, it's still business. And so a lot of the common uh, best practices in any in any industry apply to board games and and the board game market uh, as well. Do you have any other advice as far as becoming or actually being, talk to me about being, let's do that. And before we do kind of other advice, what's it look like to be a developer? What does your week look like? Your, your, your days, your playtest sessions, kind of give me a day in the life of a developer. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, a developer's work generally is very like project driven as you'd expect. Um, so, uh, different projects could involve, uh, different proportions of different kinds of things. Uh, one thing um, I spend a lot of time doing as a developer uh, is uh, bringing different parties together on a project that have different skills and acting as kind of the bridge between them. So for example, um, as a developer, uh, at, uh, Osprey for example, you'll often be uh, in charge of commissioning um, an artist for a game. Uh, you'll have a graphic designer you're either commissioned or you're working with in-house. You'll have a designer and you'll have a, a production team um, and explaining to the graphic designer what you need, talking through with your production team uh, how the game could look, uh, what could be in the game, going back to your artist and getting art that matches the, the, the product specification, going between, acting as the bridge between all these parties uh, takes a lot of time. Um, and is actually, I, I would say, the main thing one does as a developer. Um, other than that, um, a good amount of time each week is dedicated to playtesting. Um, there's no shortcut to doing it, and playtesting a game a sufficient amount just does take a lot of time. Um, so uh, a good portion of your week as an average developer is going to be dedicated to just playing a game, writing up your notes, making any changes you need to, and repeating again and again. Very cool. All right. Now, do you have any other advice, any other thoughts as far as being a developer, anything else that someone would just need to maybe be aware of or keep in mind? Um, in terms of uh, getting into the uh, being a developer, uh, just to bounce off some of your thoughts you offered earlier, um, and, uh, a thing that's unique about the board game industry, uh, and it's getting less true, but it's still true, is that it's very small. Um, it, and it's very... Uh, built upon personal relationships between people who will chat, you know, uh, over Facebook at conventions around the table at a restaurant. Um, if you uh, have enough people that 
regard uh, the development what you do positively. That word does get out because people do talk um, and uh, your career can sort of take off from, from that. Gotcha. Closing thoughts, Anthony, this has been great. Do you have any closing thoughts for someone who's sitting there thinking about maybe hiring a developer or becoming one? What would be your kind of closing thoughts to encompass everything we've talked about? Um, I would say uh, go pick two or three games off your shelf uh, that um, if, if you're looking to get into development, this is uh, go pick two or three games off yourself that you've played a bunch to death. They might be your favorite games. Um Type up your thoughts about what uh, you would change. Uh, then give it a week, go back, read them again, see if they make sense to you. Fire them off to the different publishers and say, here's what I thought about this game that you've already published. I love it, by the way. I'm your biggest fan. Uh, I would like to get into development. Do you have any other uh, titles on the go now that you think I could be uh, helpful, I could help you out with? I think that's a, a great place to start if you want to get into the industry. Gotcha. Well, Anthony, where can people find you online? Yeah, um, you can uh, follow me on Twitter uh, at Anthony underscore how'd you go? Probably the best place. I tweet mostly about board games, generally about uh, things I've got coming up in the next couple of years. Awesome. Well, Anthony, really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with your continued development work and everything else you got going on right now. Thanks very much, Kate. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?